Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast, and I'm Justin, your host. If this is your first time listening, then thank you for taking the time to join in this movement. Most people who tune in regularly are artists and designers who are seeking a transformational style of education. You know, if you're someone currently looking to start a studio, pursue a career as a full-time artist, or get the job of your dreams, then you are indeed in the correct place. The good news is that there's some method to the madness here. We do have three types of particular episodes, which includes our well-known series of dialogues, which sort of started this movement entitled Well Read. And if you're curious, then these three segments collectively answer questions regarding personal development, mindset training, professional practice, and artistic inspiration. So if any of this sounds good to you, sounds like a good vibe, a good fit for you, then we think you really enjoy our newsletter. And we're not big on email. We don't really like email reading ourselves. And we think it's there's more productive things to do. But lots and lots of people seem to find a lot of value in this part of our offering. So if this sounds like you, then you could go to educated-guest.com. Just tap in a little bit deeper into the community. As far as today's episode, today's guest is Yancey Wilkinson. Yancey is a creative director at ASD Sky. It's a multidisciplinary design firm headquartered in Atlanta. And as a graduate from SCAD, Yancey has over 15 years of experience in branded environments, graphic design, identity, you name it, store design. And I wanted to bring Yancey on the show because he has become a trusted advisor in my group of friends and family and people that I consider to be mentors. And likewise, I want to showcase his ability to lead and speak with such grace. It's a mark of gratitude that he's able to show for not only his own work process, his own story, but also the potential in others. And I think that really comes out through this whole conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Tune in. So the, the blank check, that's an interesting, an interesting question. What would I, what would I pick? What medium would I pick? You know, what would I try to say? Um, you know, just me being a lover of kind of all things creative and, you know, engaging in a number of different disciplines, I think I would have to create something that could encompass all of those things. Um, so it probably would be, I mean, it probably would be a building that, you know, could house a gallery, you know, a skate park, a recording studio, you know, all of the above, you know, a movie set, that sort of thing. I think, just providing that platform for people to just come together and, and, you know, do things collaboratively, do things creatively and, you know, pro- providing a, a ground, almost like what you would see at, we, we'll probably get into this, you know, at some point, but um, my experience at SCAD was incredible, man. Like it was, mm. it was in being in this hotbed of creativity where you would go to, you know, a house party and there would be a band playing. And then you would, you would see like, the girl you were talking to in the corner, she jumps on guitar. And then like the dude that was doing the keg stand, he jumps on drums and you're just like, what is going on? Here? What is going on? <laughs> you know? And it's like, where am I at right now? You know, so it's like that, that creative energy, you know, going to SCAD was probably one of the best decisions I made um, mm. in life because it kind of changed the trajectory that I was on um, and allowed me to meet people who became, you know, lifelong friends and, people mm. went on to do amazing things. Like my, you know, I was in a band back then and, you know, my drummer's roommate, he ended up winning an Emmy for sound design. Like 
you know, two or three years after we got out of college. Wow. Like it's just crazy stuff like that. So I think, you know, providing a platform for casual collisions and for people to just interact and like share that energy and just, you know, feed off of each other. I think that that would be what I would invest my, you know, blank check in to, to kind of create that. Because you, you never know what the byproduct of that is going to be. So mm. it's actually an interesting segue into... Um a quote that I threw at you before we got started. And it's like this, this idea, I'll just read the quote so people can know what we're kind of reflecting on is I've said goodbye to the overworked notion that architecture has to save the world. That's from Peter Sumthor. And I'm curious, like what you think about the possibility that art and design and architecture being maybe the most primitive version of that mm-hmm. possibly saving the world. And if you're, if you agree, disagree, why, why not? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I always think about, I kind of thought about when I saw that quote, I kind of thought about it in, in kind of two parts. Um, you know, one is is being sort of serious about the work that you do. And then the other part is kind of not taking yourself too seriously. So like I always, I, I used to do a lot of writing and I, I want to get back into it. And I, I remember one time I wrote in one of my journals, I wrote, you know, designers don't, don't save lives. We make life worth living. Right. So it's like, we're not, mm. we're not doing surgery. We're not, you know, if, if we don't meet this deadline, no one's going to, no one's going to die. No one's going to pass away. But what we do is provide things, you know, products, visuals, things that make life better. They enhance life, you know? So the, the idea of saving the world, I think, I think, um, I was maybe more in agreement with that at a younger age, you know, but once you start to, you start to work, you start to go through the practicality of things. Um, and you, and you like, you start to see how the design world really works, how the business works, how mm-hmm. things get, how things get designed, made, implemented and that sort of thing. There is a, there still is a big power that, you know, art design creativity has, but I think that what, has drawn me to it initially. And I think what draws a lot of people to it is that it's fun and we enjoy it. And so you can't, you can't take that out of it. And once, once you start to do that and, and you start to get consumed with the business aspect of it and, and what the outcome is going to be, then you, you lose the most important part, which is the process, right? Mm-hmm. As a creative, like the most important pr- part is like actually doing the work. It's not thinking about what the work's going to do, because if you, if you spend the time on the process and you put, what you need to put into it, it's going to do things that you can't even imagine it's going to do, you know, and, mm. you know, it's, it's interesting that we talk about like process versus product. And I, it's been a minute since this is a slight tangent, but I promise it's related. Um, I watched, I took time at, on Christmas day to watch the movie soul and I love Pixar. I love, you know, the work that's come out of there, obviously they've had their ups and downs in terms of their process, but the product is always um, connected to the spirit in a way that not many other things can seem to do mm-hmm. and makes us think about things that we weren't really thinking about in a way that we haven't really thought about. And I wonder, um, <laughs> I wonder if you have any of those lulls, because I imagine as, you know, an actor or a director or producer for that film, they've been spending all year in quarantine, just like all of us. Yeah. You know, they've probably been working on that film for years, but the process to produce that one, you know, hour and a half moment for somebody like me in Atlanta, 
has built up over three years. So I wonder the question, and this is how you go about managing the monotony of the process, knowing that your product might be an impact of an hour or 20 minutes or five minutes or 30 seconds. Like, how do you, how do you think about how you manage that? Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the thing that allows, you know, me and folks that do what I do is to carry through is to have the diversity of work. So you're not, you're not specifically work. I mean, it would be different if I was in film, I'd probably just be working on one or two things at one time, but you know, the nature of my business, you know, I'm working on (laughs) 10 plus projects at a time. Mm. So, you know, you can, you can dive into one thing and, and kind of focus on that for an hour, then dive into something else and dive into something. And I think the diversity allows you to, to kind of keep a fresh perspective on it. Um, but I can imagine, you know, just having one or two things to really focus on and, and spending a year and then, you know, your product, your outcome is, is like an hour or 30 minutes or whatever. Um, you know, and I, and I have things on the side that I work on that, that are similar to that. But during the day to day, you know, just doing graphic design and, and direction and that sort of thing, you know, I'm able to kind of jump in into different, you know, different modes and different, different projects. And so that kind of keeps it, that keeps it fresh and, and takes the monotony out of it. You know, up until this point, I would have given like a, you know, like five minute spiel on who you are and all that good stuff. But it's always best to obviously hear it from the person himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a quick rundown. What do you want the audience to know about you in terms of name, hometown, preferred title, profession, like all that stuff? Like, what do you what do you want them to know? So my name is uh, Yancey Wilkinson, um, for, formerly known as Yancey Sherman Harrell, Jr., um, I actually, when I was about 15, I, I took my stepfather's last name because he had raised me since I was two years old. Um, and so, which that also helped me create sort of my own identity, you know, just not, not having the same name as my father and him not being in my life, you know, <clears throat> allowed me to kind of chart my own sort of path. Um, born in Brooklyn, New York, grew up in, in Tampa, Florida. Um, you know, being in New York as a kid had a huge, huge influence on me. Um, even though I, I moved to Florida, you know, when I was young, my parents always wanted to wanted us not to forget where we came from. So in the summers, they would, you know, they would ship us to New York. We were there. And even when I was in New York, I saw, you know, kind of different ends of the spectrum. So, you know, my, fa- my, my father's parents were from, you know, Brownsville, Brooklyn projects. That's kind of where I stayed. But then on the other side, my mom had a stepmother who lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And mm. so, you know, during the course of a day, I would be, you know, in the park playing basketball, whatever, gunshots, fights, you know, people, women getting hit in the face and just crazy stuff you would see. And then, you know, nighttime comes around, the sun goes down and then I'm, you know, at Carmine's or at like this really nice restaurant in Manhattan. So, you know, I, I got to see two different sides of the world and, and very quickly figured out which side I wanted to be in. Yeah. Especially, you know, Manhattan to me, Manhattan is New York city to me is just the Mecca. You know, I have, I haven't been to Paris. I haven't been to, you know, Copenhagen, which is considered like the best, you know, city to live in, but yeah, yeah. New York, you see all of these facets of the world in, in one, one place. Um, mm. So that's kind of a little bit of, of, of the background, but career wise, um, I'm a graphic designer by trade. Um, I actually studied architecture for a year um, when I started my creative endeavors. 
Um, and right now I work for uh, ASD Sky, which is a full service uh, design agency. We do um, architecture, interior design. So it, it's kind of two sides of it. Um, ASD is the architecture, interior design. Mm. We also have a landscape group called Core. And then Sky is the group that I work in. So I'm creative director. Um, I co-lead and manage our Atlanta studio uh, for Sky Design, where we, you know, we focus on brand identity, uh, environmental branding, environmental graphics, signage and wayfinding, traditional graphic design, storytelling, brand strategy, that sort of thing. Mm. So we, we, we offer a lot of different services. Um, we have a, a wide range of projects. We work on projects within our firm with, with our architectural interior teams, but we also work with um, other outside firms um, as well. So we have our kind of sky standalone projects that we collaborate with um, other, other firms on. And then we also have in, in-house stuff too. So, And you know, what's, what's insane to me is the notion of leading what I consider to be a very anxiety filled process in creation for so many projects at one time for, and having a group of people around you. And I want to really dig into that, you know, sort of first things first, because, you know, I think a lot of creatives want to, uh, maybe in my younger days, I was very interested in younger being like 16, 17. I was really interested in like creative control, autonomy, making sure that what I was feeling inside was heard and people could galvanize around that idea, right? Older I've gotten, autonomy has become less important. And now the importance has been placed on this, this idea of relevance. I just want the work to get out into the world. I don't care if I'm put one check mark on there or 10,000 check marks. So I'm curious, the question here is, as you approach being sort of a, an office of coordinator, a head coach of sorts for a creative department, that naturally everybody has their own artists tucked inside of them way, way down deep. How do you go about one galvanizing creativity? Like what are some tactical things? Want to get into that. And then second part of the question is how do you manage the theoretical anxieties of all the different people around you? Like as they're going about the process. Yeah, man, that's, that's a, that's a heavy one. Um, And I don't, I don't know that I have (laughs) the right answer, but I will just kind of share things that, have helped me kind of navigate this 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 position, um, and I'll full disclosure. You know, this this is still kind of a new position for me. Mm-hmm. I've kind of been here almost. It'll be two years in May, so I'm still learning a lot. And I think even in the next five years or so, if I'm still doing the same sort of thing, I probably still will be learning a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think I mean I think it it boils down to you know kind of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. Um, and contributing to a team. Um, so I think, you know, being graphic designers and, and being sort of in the field that we work in, we're providing a service, right? We're providing something for um, a company, a business, an organization to kind of help them solve a problem. So as much as you, as much as you want to say something specific, it's really about what they need to say. So it's really about kind of understanding their message and how do we best, you know, address that issue, address that problem and solve it in a way that is very simple, easy to understand, but also aesthetically pleasing. Um, Mm. And so, you know, for the, for the team side of it, you know, there's, 
there's obviously, there's a lot of human nature. So everyone has, you know, different personalities. They have different strengths, different weaknesses. And, you know, myself, I'm just, I'm a people person naturally. I just love talking to people and learning about people and, you know, learning about people's background and their journey and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I think one, one place where a lot of leaders fail from what I've seen is that they don't focus on the positive. So it's like, you have to, there's a lot of people, like we have about, I say we have about 10 people on our team in Atlanta. So everyone's not going to be good at everything. Mm. So I think one of the things that I think helped me is, is to, you know, focus on what is working. So if there's something that you notice that someone has a strength in, then you say, okay, that person would be great for this project. Or I think they would be great on this project. Or I think they would really enjoy this. And if they're doing something they, they enjoy, obviously the results are going to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the things that, you know, are lacking, I try to sort of easily just guide and, and, and direct and, and engage and, and try to expose them to the, the things that they, that they don't, aren't so great in and they don't know and, and try to help them with that. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's really important to capitalize on people's strengths to kind of get the best results out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, in quarantine, it's been a huge challenge because we're not in each other's presence every day. You can't just tap on someone's shoulder or look over their shoulder and say, hey, I think that should be green or like this is too large or the scale of that. Print that out full scale and let's look at, you know, you can't just do that. You have to you have to have a Zoom call, you know, you have to have, you know, a meeting and then you may redline something, they send it back to you and then it's still, it still needs work. So you might have to have a call. So I think the process has taken a lot longer than it used to. Mm. Um, in the last few months or so, I've actually been, been going into the office a few days a week. So maybe two to three days a week and yeah. if I'm working on particular projects. I'll, I'll have, you know, sometimes I'll ask people, hey, I'm going to be in the office this day you want to come in, let's meet, let's talk about stuff, which, which has helped. But it's, it's been a challenge, man, because sometimes you'll, you know, you'll get something back and um, the communication is key. And sometimes people still sort of miss the boat and sometimes they don't, you know, it, it depends. Like everybody has, <laughs> they, they have their own different skill sets. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge to manage that. But I think all in all, we've been, we've been able to, um, elicit some good results, um, even in spite of the time that it's taken to, to kind of get there, we've still been, been pushing and, and getting some good products out. And it may be, you know, we may be spending a little more time. We may, we may go over our budget, which, you know, that happens. But I think um, the, the, the design and the quality of the work, I think, is, is, is most key. So, you know, um, one thing that one, a couple of themes that I'm pulling out, the first being um, I want to touch on how to get started on a project. Um, and I want to talk about the business. Like you talked about budgeting. So let's talk about um, getting started on a project. And I, I want to talk about this because I've been thoroughly introduced to both ways of sort of approaching a project. When I was working full time, it was very much so, all right, here's the Gantt chart. In the first two weeks, we're doing this. The three, the three weeks after that, we're doing this. And by this time, whatever it is, it's going like creativity is going to happen naturally in this way, in this sort of waterfall approach. Whereas going back to school in the studio environment, and you probably experience this on at endlessly as SCAD is the way that the brief is introduced to you 
is so out of the box that it becomes like an interesting puzzle you're trying to put together along the way in a way that you never knew how to do. Like I've, you can do the sort of precedent studies, you can do the um, sort of like game of analogies, like all these different creative like tools to build to build interesting ideas. I'm wondering how much that actually shows up in your work as a leader. Like, are you, are you running it as if you're running like a studio at school or are you running it as if you were running, you know, a Gantt chart to meet a certain budget and time constraint? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think, I think there's a little bit of both um, depending on, depending on what the project is, who the client is, um, the scale of the project. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a lot of little, we have a lot of small projects where it's like, if I'm working with this person, I know they can knock that out pretty quickly with little oversight. So, you know, we may have a meeting and we say, here's what, you know, here's what the brief is. Here's what we need to do. If I have some initial ideas, I might share that with them. But if I want them to kind of come up with some stuff, I may just allow them to work on it first. And then once they come back with stuff, then I'll, I'll kind of engage. Um, some other projects that are kind of larger and take more of a deeper dive. I think, I think I still do have that almost kind of school-like approach where you kind of have that full immersion and you kind of dive into it, which mm-hmm. I still really enjoy that. So when I do have the time and the capacity to do that, I love to help out on the front end with the strategy and like setting the direction and allowing people to kind of design what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think research, you know, pulling case studies, benchmarking, that sort of thing, and really kind of getting to the, to the heart and soul of, of what the brand is and what they want to say, how they want to speak. Um, I think a, a big part of it too is engaging with stakeholders. So we have, we'll have like visioning sessions where, you know, we ask them questions about, you know, what the current perception of the brand is, what, you know, the desired perception is and who the, who the audience is, all these sorts of things. And, we kind of take all that information and distill it down into a clear strategy for us to mm. really support the outcome. So like we're not, when we, when we first share concepts with them, if we share, you know, three to five things, all of those things are going to hit the mark in some capacity because we had a, a clear foundation of where we were headed to. Mm. So, um, but then you have also big projects where there's a set budget and you really have to think about, um, what what is going to make the most impact and where should we should we should we spend the money at so like um a lot of times we'll we'll design things in schematic design which is basically you know you may do sketches or you may do some elevations but you won't have like dimensions you won't have you know materiality and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and you can you can you can sort of build those things as you go along but it it's going to help you in the long run to to think about those things initially like, what is this going to be made out of? Like, is this, but there's, there's also ways to value engineer, which is, which is typically what we, what we don't like to do. We like to, you know, make things look the best as possible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, you do have to keep budget in mind. And there's some projects where you have to keep budget in mind more than others. Um, there's, there's some projects where clients don't have a budget and they're looking for us to, to, um, provide something for them as a, as a basis to kind of go on. Mm-hmm. And then there's some where they just say, do what you guys think. And then we'll see, we'll try to figure out a way to pay for it. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think there's a number of things. And I think just, again, like I said earlier, just the nature of 
the diversity of projects that we work on. I think there's no kind of archetypal way to to kind of approach it. So, you know, one thing that I'm noticing is like there's this there's a friction between skateboarder guitarist Yancey and <laughs> you know what I'm saying and value engineering Yancey and I think that you know this and I think that friction exists within all of us otherwise right. we wouldn't be able to like have that anxiety to work off of Seinfeld like was really uh I didn't like to actually get into the show Seinfeld too much but I've been listening to all his recent interviews him as a person I really like the way he thinks um yeah, yeah. So he, he talks about like this, this idea of the natural, it's like a natural discontent or disquiet within all creatives that mm-hmm. sort of drives whatever work produces. And it's tough to yeah. work when you're happy. So I'm yeah. wondering, um, the question yeah. in this is like, yeah. if you think about skateboarder version of you, which is the same person, you think about guitarist <laughs> version of you, which is the same person, where do they get to sort of spread their wings? Like, where does that, where does that get to get to yeah. show up? I mean, I think that, you know, I think we, everything that we've been exposed to or engaged with throughout the course of our lives, whether it's, you know, visually, creatively, or just experientially, I think it all kind of influences the work that we do. So mm-hmm. even, even though if I'm working on, you know, my design job, my creative director job, um, I'm not, I'm not cognizant of saying, oh, I want to, this is, this is what I'm going for, but it's, it's, it's ultimately inherently going to come out just because it's, it's who you are. Right. Um, but I think, you know, when the sun goes down after dark and I'm able to hop on my skateboard or plug in my amp, that's kind of, you know, that's the outlet. So I, I it's, that's an interesting idea because there's definitely, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the difference between being an artist and a designer. And mm. I think there's a, there's a conversation where the lines can be blurred <laughs> a little bit with, with the two in, in, in most cases. Um, but I think what I'm doing day to day, it's, it's, it's design, it's solving a problem. There's also an aesthetic that's associated with it. Um, and then the other creative endeavors is kind of like, hey, this is, this is self-expression. This is something that, that kind of makes me feel good. Um, inside. So uh, again, I mean, the, the same, the same person does all those different things, but mm-hmm. I think without, without taking away one of, one of those, I don't think I would be complete. So like, if I wasn't, if I didn't have design, I don't think I would be complete. If I didn't have, you know, art, skateboarding, you know, music, I wouldn't be complete. So I think it provides a good balance for us. Um, and then I think another thing you touched on too, is just, you know, being the discontent part of it. Um, I feel like we're always, we're all, I'm always fighting, like fighting for beauty, right? So fighting for something to, to be great looking, functional, just pleasing, just to make things better. Like you're always fighting, because it, it, it's tough too being, being a creative and having that sort of eye, because everything you see, when I look at stuff, all I see is how it can be better. <laughs> And that sucks, dude. It yeah. really sucks. Because I walk around and I'm just like, especially being in quarantine and being in my house all the time. Yeah. My, so I, we've literally, I know people have probably quarantine chronicles, but I've literally, during quarantine, I've gotten a new refrigerator. <laughs> I've gotten a new um, washing machine. 
getting a new <laughs> my 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 garbage disposal went out on on Thanksgiving, so I had to go to Home Depot get a new one, install that. Like, there's so many things that have <laughs> broken since I've been here, and I don't know because we're just using it more or whatever. But yeah. I'm also seeing all the things, you know in disrepair in, in my house that I can, that I need to, need to update that, that I'm looking at right now because I'm at home, you know, mm. and it just being a creative person, it's that, that whole vision is enhanced because we just have that, that attention to detail where it's like, Oh, that could be better. That could be better. That could be better. You know? So it's, it's a hard thing to, to do. And I'm, I'm, I've learned a little bit to, to sort of let go of that a little bit. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes when, when people don't, people that aren't like us, they, they see that as they could see that as being, you know, judgmental and, 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 you know, being critiquing things too much and that, that sort of thing. But it's really about just, you know, evolution and making things better and, and progress and making life better, you know? So um, it's, it's a tough mm. thing, tough disease to have, man. When you but, think- yeah. That uh, what you were saying earlier about this this uh, dichotomy between art and design, where the lines get blurred, I think about that as being summarized in like the defense of a concept. And I've never in my life, except in music, but you can kind of definitively say whether you missed a note or not in music. Mm-hmm. But in going back to architecture school, it's like you're being forced to think very deeply about why your concept is what it is. And if it needs to morph based on new constraints and it morphs, but thinking about, um, I think a lot of graphic designers and designers in general approach their initial work or like early work is like the same way you would approach getting a tattoo. It's like, if you've already made a commitment to a tattoo, it's like, bro, this is going on me and it's my body. So why does it matter what it means past that step three, four, five? Right. And I wonder if that's the friction that we ex- we sort of fight in in the earlier days of working as a professional designer, it's like I got into this because I like the idea of being able to express freely, and then now this person is telling me that like my concept isn't deep enough. So I wonder what are the ways that you ensure that your concept is deep enough that if somebody says, "All right, we need to do this with half the money," and then you're like, "What half the money? Like all?" The concept was based on the full budget, not half the budget. So yeah, yeah, yeah. how do you stay, how do you stay flexible? Yeah. I mean, like I said, again, I mean, there's always ways to, to kind of use cheaper materials or that sort of thing. But I think, I think the idea, the idea of a concept, I don't, I don't know if there's a, to me, the idea and the concept is kind of invaluable and like there's ways you can carry that out to fruition in, you know, as cheaply as possible. It, it may not look as nice if you've used, you know, a more expensive material, but I think the idea of it is, is still, um, it's still strong. It's still very important that, that you have that. And it's, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because that's something that I very, that I'm really concerned about. Um, mm-hmm. and that is a huge part of my job is to really kind of set the tone on what that is a lot of times. Um, and sometimes, you know, people don't see it until you show it to them. So you, you know, you, you have to, it goes back to, again, the, the sort of the visioning process and, and gathering all of that information and figuring out how can I solve this problem for them in a way that they could not see themselves. Mm-hmm. You know? And so when you approach that, you come up with that, that concept, we'll figure out how to, how to make it, you know, whether it, whether it needs to be cheap or expensive, like 
the concept should still should, should still remain as much as possible. Mm. You know, is there how does that manifest itself in the studio? Is there a mood board that you always come back to? I mean, as musicians, we hear about these crazy stories of like artists. I remember the the dark fantasy sessions. He had like this whiteboard or whatever of like printed out like no phones and then it's like a question of like what would mob deep do and like these these sort of like um philosophical yeah compasses that bring you back to a center like what are what are some techniques you found to be helpful in that way yeah i think i think one is kind of what i touched on before is like you know gathering information and, and coming back down to that sort of brand platform so like what are the drivers you know what are those things that that drive the values you know, what are the um, attributes, you know, like if it was, if it was a person, how would it speak? What's the tone and personality? Mm-hmm. And then what's the aesthetic? So if you have, you know, those three tiers, you have those words listed out, that's almost a, a guide or a Bible that you can go back to as you're, you're developing ideas and you look at something and you say, okay, is that, so this, this, this says, you know, we want to be inclusive and, and, and expressive. Does that, does, does this design support that? You know, so you can look back. It's almost like a checks and balances system where, you know, it kind of keeps you in line. Um, and then, you know, we also, like you said, we also do you know, sort of mood boards and, and that sort of thing, just, just to kind of get, give them a vibe of what, what we're going for. And we can go look back at that and say, does this, you know, comply with what we, what we set, set the tone with? Um, and, and a lot of times too, you know, depending on who the client is, they may be very open to, ideas that are unconventional or, you know, they may be somebody that has very strict brand standards and they say, we show them some ideas that are a little out of the box and they say, well, that's cool, but we can't do that. You know? And sometimes you you can kind of feel, once you start working with a client, you can kind of feel how much leeway you have to to push the envelope a little bit. But I think we always try to push the envelope regardless in in the beginning. And then allow them to, to, to tell us to dial it back. I don't think you should always, I don't think you should ever go in to, to, you know, sell yourself short. Like you should always push as far as you can and then allow them to, to say, okay, you need to build it back a little bit. Mm. But, you know, I, I think in the studio sense, you know, it, it would be great when we get back into the office and be able to like look at each other and point at things and draw and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, Right now, we're we're kind of you know relegated to sitting down and having people come up with individual ideas and share them with, and share them you know virtually and that sort of thing, which which has been it's been interesting, it's been it's been good, it's it's worked, but like I said earlier, it's just been taking longer to kind of get there. So yeah, but the ideas are still there. So. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's this one lecture that I'm reminded of from this recent semester I went through <clears throat> and it, it was, um, I think his name is Matthew Allen and I might have him as a guest in the future, but I really liked him because he graduate, same school, he's probably mid thirties or something like that. He works as an archivist and he's working on a book right now. And he was walking us through this presentation of one of the firms he had worked for and they had done like some, some, they've done some amazing work, but it's all, centered around like projective geometry and how different projections of that can like manifest into interesting building forms. And the reason I bring this up is because he did this exhibition where he archived or got permission to archive and present um, the, the Rhino files 
from, you know, how they actually got to that final form. And as you know, like, just like in music, as in design, as in anything, it's pretty, I mean, it can be pretty messy leading up to like that one little idea that's a nugget. So he went back and he was like, the point of this exhibition is to say, look, the design process is nonlinear. And no matter how, it's like the, uh, what is it called? Um, post-rational, whatever level of post-rationalization happens, mm-hmm. it's never that, it's never that story. Right. And at the end, it's, it's twenty. It's the whole time size twenty twenty thing. So I'm wondering um, how you, because what I see in in some of my favorite pieces of your work is a layer of ab- abstraction into like very interesting forms that sort of go beyond. Oh, this is a typeface we used, or this is a color palette we used. It's usually that third element, the the element of you know you call it ornamentation, you call it. Um, abstraction like how do you how do you go about sort of like finding those interesting those interesting geometries to sort of put on put it put next to what was you know anything normal yeah man I I think it you know I think it all goes back to just the artists within ourselves you know like once you once you kind of get into into it and you just headphones on, you're zoned out, you actually have time to focus. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes we surprise ourselves with what we create. Um, and I, I haven't, I haven't had the luxury to, to do that lately, just because I, of, of my responsibilities and my position is where I'm just more sort of directing and overseeing. Every once in a while, I can jump in and kind of actually design something. And, you mm-hmm. know, when I get to do that, I'm, I'm reminded like, oh, this is, I'm actually, I can actually do this pretty well and I enjoy it. Um, but I, I think, like I, I think I said this earlier too, you know, we're, we're always, you know, a product of what we've been exposed to. So I think all of those things, you know, elements of graffiti that I used to see when I was in New York on the subway and, you know, things, right. that, things that I used to see, like art shows that I used to go to and all this other stuff all that stuff kind of just comes out um, if it's appropriate for the particular project that I'm working on, you know, mm. like you said, I think, I think there's, there's, I could, I think I'm, I'm thinking about a couple of projects that you, that you mentioned, but um, yeah, yeah. some of those, some of those have an opportunity for you to really explore some things that you're interested in. Um, and that, that also goes back to, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of people and, and what, what they're great at. So it's like, you know, putting them on those particular projects where they can spread their wings and do something that that's, you know, unconventional and, and really, really nice and um, aesthetically pleasing. So if somebody on your team came to you and they're like, Hey, like I got this idea, this concept to start off this project and you sort of probe at them. You're like, okay, so how did you arrive at this? That's always like the first question. Yeah. And if they tell you like, which is kind of the truth, it's like, well, I kind of just like started with this circle spun around a couple of times, flipped it over, did this, chopped it up. And then I got this. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is, is that design? Is that acceptable I mean, for you? Sometimes that happens. I mean, I, I think there's no, it's not linear. <laughs> like you okay. said, it's not linear. So like, you know, every, every project um, has the process of the, 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 the steps in the process may be similar, but I think the, the actions of the process and like those, the outcomes of those steps are different for every project, I would say. Yeah. Um, so like sometimes it is just playing around with a form and then you're like, oh, that looks cool. 
And then it's like the post-rationalization thing where it's like, okay, we got we to gotta justify this. Like, why does this work? You know? Yeah. Because there's, there's, you know, there's people who come up with stuff, really cool forms, but it's like, okay, what does that mean? How is it relevant? So like exactly what you said, that's stuff that I'm faced with, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. daily where I'm looking at like, where does this come from? Why, why is that relevant? Like, how does that, how does that go back to support the brand ethos and like what they're all about and what we, what we try to communicate with this brand platform that's on the wall. Mm-hmm. You, know, so you always have to, sometimes you have to post-rationalize it. Sometimes you just, you create something in the beginning that's really, you know, soulful and, and it represents and captures the essence of it and you just push it forward, you know? And sometimes it's, you know, you miss the mark in the beginning and you say, okay, here's a few things to try that I think might work. And then they'll take those on and some people will, will take it and they, they, they bring it to another level. And some people will kind of take it and you just, you have to, you kind of have to push them. You have to push them. You have to push them. And, um, you know, they ultimately get there, but sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Mm. But there's also, you know, oh, go ahead. I'm about to say something. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in a, a new topic that you maybe think about, but I want you to finish that thought. No, I was going to say, sometimes you, um, you, you, you have to set the tone and then allow them to sort of take it from there. And sometimes you can allow them to set the tone and then you just kind of drive and, and guide them. And I think there's a, I think there's a balance between that because, you know, I've seen my previous employer where I was at, you know, Perkins and Will, um, I had the opportunity to, to travel a lot, um, throughout the country and, and kind of outside of the country. And, you work, work with a lot of different teams, see how a lot of different leaders work. And what I found was that there was, for the most part, it was almost the folks that were in positions of power. It was just them wanting to see their vision carried out. Mm. And it was not allowing designers, architects to be sort of empowered to really express their ideas. Um, mm-hmm. and there, there also wasn't really much of a succession planning. So you, you would, you would have, you know, all these principles and whatnot, and then you have kind of entry level people and then like entry mid level folks, but there was no tier for kind of the next leaders to, to rise once these people that were principals when they retire. So yeah. there was a huge gap. There was a huge gap between there and you know, I was, I was sort of at the mid to senior level and I wanted to do a lot more. I wanted to grow. And I saw that there was a void in, in kind of mentorship and like, you know, leading sort of the next, the next generation. And that's, that was one of the reasons why I took this position where I'm at now is because, you know, I really feel like we don't have enough people to, um, sort of nurture that next, that next generation, because like your generation, man, you guys are, (laughs) you guys are the future. So like, if, if you guys aren't, if you guys are not equipped with the tools and the knowledge and the confidence mm-hmm. to really push your ideas forward and become leaders, um, then we failed at our job, you know? So I think that's, that's one of the things that I really sort of pride myself on is to really kind of engage in, you know, helping, mentoring, talking, whatever it is, however I can help sort of that next generation. Oh, you're, you're, you're at that, in my opinion, as somebody looking into the future at like what this could look like for me, you know, in, in some years. And I think about it, I'm like, okay, he's done enough work. Cause you sent me the updated portfolio, which is still not all the work. 
And he was like, hey, bro, I like, just updated this. I was like, man, this is fire. He's like, yeah, that's still not all of it. I'm like, dang, <laughs> well, I can't wait to see all of it. But um, I appreciate it, I, man. It's, you don't think about it when you, you don't think about it. You're just, you're just working. And then, I mean, I had to do that to actually realize like, oh, I've actually done, you know, <laughs> this stuff. Because we're, again, it's the, it's, you're in the process, right? So you don't think about what the outcomes are. But if you, if you do that process correctly, then the outcomes will, you know, impress you, you know? Right. And it makes me think about, um, I had to kind of do this thing, just like a public journal on my Twitter. I I had like 500, 600 people follow me on there, but um, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of getting these incomplete thoughts out. And one of them was thinking in terms of the monograph to be always brings me peace and clarity. And when I, when I, I don't know where that came from, but I just threw it out there, tweeted, boom, move on to the next thing. Yeah. And now reflecting on it, I kind of see your career as being an example of, okay, you've hit this stage where it's no longer a question of whether you're a professional or not. Like that's been answered some time ago. Like it's like, bro, I've been doing this. And then you've reached a stage where it's like, I can do this at multiple places. So it's not a matter of like, you're not a system quarterback. You, you are a quarterback of your own. And then now I kind of view your story as maybe at this stage where it's like, well, well, what if I were to produce a memoir or monograph about what I've done as far like what is what is the story like what is what has all this been about why have I been interested in these things and what's the ethos of the practice that is Yancey? Yeah, like what do you think? Wow, that's a, dude. This this guy, man, professional interviewer. No oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for for by the way, too, I, I didn't mention this, but dude, I'm 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 honored and you know it's just extreme pleasure for me to be on this and be doing this with you and. You know, I, I've said this before, but like I wholly, wholeheartedly support anything that you're doing, dude. Like I've, I've I see so much potential. Like you don't even know what you're going to be doing five years mm. from now, but I want to see like what's going to happen. So anyway, I'm just man. I'm thank thankful. You so to, I'm thankful to be on here. I'm thankful that we were able to connect. I'm thankful that that you think I've been successful at this point. You know, because I'm still <laughs> again. I go. I'm. I'll go to work just like anybody else, day to day. You know. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that was a, that's, man, I never really thought about that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm usually sort of on the other side of the mic where I'm asking the questions and interviewing people. And it's sometimes it's difficult to kind of be introspective. Um, Mm. but I think, I think if I had to sum it up, you know, I think it's, you said, what would the story be? And I think it's, I think it's just that it's that you know, I understand the the power and um, the power and the detail and effectiveness of storytelling. And I think that's what everything, everything that I'm engaged in creatively and all of my creative endeavors, is, it always goes back to an idea of kind of telling a story, you know, whether it's writing a song, playing a song, it's, that's a story, right? skateboarding you know you watch a skate video and it it, there's no words there's music but it tells a story like you see the beginning you see the end you see peaks and valleys you see that sort of thing Mm. design it's the same thing it tells a story i mean it it serves a function but it also tells a story and i think that's one of the things that that really drives me um and also just you know like i said before I, i like i love to write and i want to get back into that a little bit more but i think the the idea of story everybody 
loves a good story. Like there's nobody in the world that doesn't love a good story. It may be carried out through a different medium for you. You may, you may prefer to watch a film or you may prefer to read a book, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a story that you're, that you're going to be drawn to. And I think that's what, that's kind of what drives me is, is that idea of storytelling. You know, it reminds me of um, two things. One, I've, over the quarantine, I had an immense amount of time to listen to very boring and long interviews, but they ended up being really exciting for me. Um, Joseph Campbell, most people are familiar with him as like the consultant to Star Wars um, uh, saga back when it was the original six episodes. And he is the like purveyor of the term, the hero's journey. And I think about um, his work in context to or in relationship to art and design practices, because all that he was doing and trying to create the hero's journey, which is shows up in damn near every popular thing we ever gravitate towards, is to recognize the Id- ideals of mythology. And the reason I'm going on this like seemingly roundabout tangent is that when you get to these ideals of mythology, it's always about removing yourself from this form, like you know, you're six, two, six, three, give me if you like six, six, I don't know, <laughs> but you're like six, two, six, three. And give me back the mother inches. Like, nah, <laughs> nah bro. Um, yeah. But, you know, we exist in this current form, right? And our goal as, or some people's goal as designers, I was reading this interview with Frank Gehry and he was talking about how he's attempting to sort of like, show what can be done with the tools that are offered to you, like manipulating form in a certain way to show the, the expansiveness of the human touch and the, the impact of the human touch. Whereas in contrast, you have somebody like Alvaro Siza or even Rick Rubin in a modern sense who mm-hmm. is trying to remove themselves from mm-hmm. getting their personal touch. So I'm wondering, I've always seen you as like, man, this guy is almost like a sensei of the arts. It's like, I come to you, I'm like, you know what I mean, man? I have a very, like, I'm very hyped up about this. So but I come to you, you're like, man, you know, one, two, three, four. four. <laughs> so, you know, so what, it, what, what gives you that sort of sensei attitude towards the arts? Is it a removal of the process or, or maybe something yeah. else? Um, well, I, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a sensei, but, um, I'm a student. I'm a student, man. I'm I'm always a student. I think if you stop being a student, then you got to do something else. Um, you should always be a student, right? You should always you should always have a mentor, and you should always be a mentee. You know um, those sorts of things. But I mean, I don't know. It's interesting because I I don't I don't think of my body of work as being sort of my body of work. Like I always try to take myself out of it. Again, I mean, I think the the nature of the business that I'm in is we're providing a service, right? So we're providing mm-hmm. a service for, you know, a business or an organization or an institution or whatever. And so once we solve that issue for them, we deliver the deliverable, they have it implemented. It's theirs to own at that point. Like mm-hmm. it's no longer mine. I helped you do this, but this is now yours. So like I don't it doesn't belong to me. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sit in the list of projects in my portfolio, but ultimately it's, it's yours to enjoy, it's yours to engage with, it's yours to, to evolve. And I try to take myself out of it. Um, and I think the, the results of it should reflect whatever that 
whatever that, you know, organization or brand or whatever is about, it should reflect that. And it shouldn't, there's going to be, you know, pieces and remnants of me <laughs> that are probably in it, but right. I don't, I don't try to take ownership of it. You know, I think it's, it's something that, you know, you sort of put out into the world and you allow it to be what it's, what it's going to be. It's almost like, you know, when a mother, a baby's in a mother's womb, you know, that mother is nurturing the baby. It's the baby is actually part of her. And then as soon as she gives birth, you know, she's, she's responsible to nurture that baby and care for them and, and teach them. But when that baby turns 18, they're, you know, a child of the world, right? They're mm-hmm. still going to come home to their mom, but like, they're going to have their own, their own perspective on life. They're going to have their own things that they enjoy. They're going to have their own, their own trials and tribulations. And so they'll be their own person. And that's kind of how I see the work that, that I do is that, you know, you really engage into it. You, you make something that's special, that's of quality, and then you allow it to breathe, you know, allow it to be out there in the world. Mm. So I, I, kinda, I, try to, I try to remove myself from that and not, and not be too, you know, attached to it. But there's, there's obviously, you know, things that you enjoy more than others. Um, and, you know, you have more of an, more of an attachment to, to some of those, more of an affinity to them. But um, for the most part, I try to, once things are, are finished and implemented, I try to kind of move on because to me, the most important projects are the ones that you're working on currently, right? Because you don't mm. know the uncertainty, you don't know what you're going to deliver. So it's like, that's the that's the designer's itch where it's like, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna solve this issue? How am I gonna make this make this great? I love that. You know, it, it makes me think about um <clears throat> it makes me think about this ideal of um sort of coming back to the pr- the process and thinking about the anxieties of the process. And it also uh triggers like reminders of Duchamp and like this idea of, and maybe a little bit of what the Dada movement was about, if it was about anything at all. And it's like, right. all right, well, <clears throat> here's a toilet and I'm going <laughs> to make of it what you will. And it's almost right. like this make of it what you will attitude that gives a certain aura in, in modern day, because, you know, we're all in our own little ways, in our own little, I don't know, at least me for sure, trying to like, let ourselves be known and like yeah. in this sea of this abyss of life as we know it, we just want to know that we mattered in some sense, like whether that means we were a good father, good husband, good artist, good designer, whatever it is, we just want that to be known at least. So this thing meant something. And it, it almost, it speaks to a lot of the maturity that I, you know, admire about you and just the ability to say, look, like this, this is, I'm a grain of sand. <laughs> as a creator and my ability to produce anything does not define me, but at the same time, those things should still be produced. Um, quick segue here. Another quote that I want us to reflect on possibly is that um, <laughs> it's from Jeannie gang and it's from Domus 2020. I'll just read it. So pure autonomy was a privilege of the past that architects today should no longer entertain. And in my own office, the two tracks of projects we have long maintained are now merging into one as we push ourselves to do more at every scale to address urgent needs. And this is something I touched on earlier. This is like the second or third or last question, but like mm-hmm. something I touched on earlier was this dance between being autonomous and being relevant. And which one do you sort of, um, you know, sort of see yourself in now? Like, how do you, how do you coach people 
off the ledge of one and off the ledge of the other. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think collaboration is the key, honestly. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I think has, has hindered some of the process of being in quarantine, not being around people. Yeah. Uh, autonomy, you know, I think it, it would be different if, if I was like an artist or a painter or something that I just sort of worked in my studio. But I, I think just being, being in design and being part of a firm, you have to communicate with people, right? You have to, you have to share things and it's, it's better to share early and often, you know, but we have, we have folks on our team who may work on something in a silo and you never see what they're going to show until like they've been working on it for a week or so. And you're like, Hey, why didn't you share this sooner? Like we could have, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I always promote the idea of um, sharing, um, talking through things, working through things. Um, you, you do need, you need some time of autonomy to kind of get it there. You just need like that focus time. But I think, I think ultimately to share and collaborate and be multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary. I think that that kind of works to our benefit. You know, it's like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You know, we're all sort of a part of a team. Right. I think just working at um, at Perkins and Will, working at an architecture firm and, and being exposed to all these different disciplines, I had a chance to work on teams that had urban designers, landscape designers, interior designers, architects, you know, brand strategists. So it was like we had all these different people on one project. So mm-hmm. everyone's looking at something differently and everyone is, they see things that you're producing differently from a different perspective. And so them having that different perspective allows you to create what you're creating to create it better in a different way. And so if you don't share that with them, they can't help you make it better and help each other make it better. Cause we're all working on the same project. You mm-hmm. know? So I think I, I do miss, you know, having that many, um, discipline sort of represented on a project because again, it, it makes things so much stronger. Um, and I also think from the side that we're on from sort of the, the brand and the storytelling piece, it allows us to really set the tone of what the project is going to be about. Um, and so it, it's important that everyone is, is on that page because, you know, we're the ones who are setting the tone. So you have to, you have to, you have to share, you have to collaborate. You can't sort of work in a vacuum unless you know, you're your sole proprietor, have your own studio and you, pres- and you, pr- you create a certain style of work that people come to you for. Mm. You know, it's, it's different. I think I'm in a different industry where, you know, I've got multiple projects, it's diverse, that sort of thing. People aren't necessarily coming to us for a specific style. They know you provide XYZ service. They know, you, they know your work is great, but they know that they come to you, you're going to create something that's unique to them as a Mm. client. You know, um, as we, as we talk about that, it, it begs, uh, it helps me reflect on why I've been doing this podcast for this long. Like this is now year three. Um, by the time this comes out, this will be episode almost 200. (laughs) And congrats on that, man. That's I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. So, I've even been reflecting on like the nature of the questions that I ask. Mm-hmm. And I think early on, it was a lot about, I was just talking to a friend about this earlier, early on, it was a lot about 
um, just exploring what's out there. I was in, I was just in amazement by, wait, you can really do art. You can just like be an illustrator all day. And that's a career. I didn't, that was very early. And then it moved into this age or like this era, which was only like eight to 12 months of an era or whatever. But it was like <laughs> this, this period of time where I was really interested in the how to's, the tactics, the templates, like, well, okay, if you're in this scenario, like how do you da 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 And then now I think the game is starting to slow down a little bit just because I've been watching so much film. Yeah. And I'm more so interested in like, you know, why do we do this? Like, what's the philosophy behind it? Like, what is the, what is, why do we, you know, in, in the, in the Donald Judd way is like, do we need another chair? Like, why do we, mm-hmm. what is the purpose of that extra chair? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the question behind this is about thinking um, this dialectic between the formal and the political, like the political being something that is like, perhaps more permanent, perhaps something that's far further reaching. And then the formal being something that's like capturing a moment in time, like maybe more ephemeral, maybe something that's not as like uh, polarizing. And I'm wondering, like, do you ever have a gravitational pull towards the political side of things? Like, all right, bro, I need this work to say something in the long run. Like this should mean something. Or do you feel pulled in like the speed of culture, which is more ephemeral, more formal? It's like, hey, like, Mm-hmm. I'm on to the next thing. Do you find yourself pulled between the two? Um, I mean, again, I mean, I think it, I think it goes back to specifically in the in the type of work that I do. It goes back to the client and what's appropriate for that particular client and what what's appropriate for that particular market or whatever we're we're addressing. You know, so like if it's if it's something that is going to be, you know, it's going to have a life of five years, then maybe it can be a little more polarizing and like bold and like that sort of thing and trendy. Um, but if it's going to be like, we're not going to update this for 10 years, there's got to be a timeless quality about it. There's got to be something that um, is not going to change about their message, not going to change aesthetically. Like it's something that has to last. And what I find is that the, the best way to address something in that way is simplicity. You know, simplicity is always going to be timeless, um, but you can do you can do things in a simple way that grab your attention. You mm-hmm. know, so I think, you know, I, I I don't strive to have like a specific style in in the work or anything, but I think there's there's one thing that is a common theme, and it's and it's the idea of simplicity, and that's kind of getting to, you know, you touched on it before, like the concept, like getting to communicating that concept in the least amount of fluff as possible, like getting to the point straight ahead. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what, that's kind of what drew me to, you know, um, graphic design and particularly identity work and logo design. Like I've always been drawn to that because you could see one simple symbol and it, it could say so many things about what's behind it just by looking at it, you know? And, and so to me, like, I, I love creating a challenge to where I can create this one simple that says so many things about a business or an organization or, you know, it, it's, it, it has a lot of substance in it. So there's like style and there's some substance. But I think that, um, you know, being able to create work that is going to be timeless, because sometimes you don't know how long it's gonna, it needs to have a shelf life for. So right. uh, 
it, it, it's always, you have to be, you have to be relevant. If you're a designer, you have to know what's going on currently. And I think some of that needs to definitely influence your work. But I think when you're, when you're, designing something for like a space or an environment or, or something that is going to have to last and stand the test of time, mm-hmm. you have to figure out a way to make it feel like it's not going to date itself quickly. Um, and I know we've, we've got, you know, we've got projects that have gone up, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever. And, and you look at them now and you're like, oh, that feels kind of dated, you know, but then we also have stuff that went up. I have stuff that I've worked on, like, probably, you know, five to eight years ago. And you look at it and you're like, man, this could have been built yesterday. You know, like it looks very fresh. It looks very new. It looks very current. Yeah. So, you know, you should always, should always strive to, to do something that is going to be long lasting, but it should also have some sort of relevance, some sort of like zeitgeist, you know, like it should, it should make some sort of impact. You know? Um, before, before we start wrapping up with like the last few questions, I want to, I'm just curious about like what you're reading. Like who, how do you stay inspired as somebody that's now inspiring others? Like, yeah, it's, it's funny, man. Funny you ask that. Um, like I always, <clears throat> so I'm a, I'm a graphic designer, right. By trade. But if you look on my, <laughs> if you look on my bookshelf, there's, there's very few graphic design books. Um, like you'll see, novels, biographies, fashion books, music, skateboarding, like, you know, all the above. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I would all, I would, I would encourage anyone who is in any sort of creative discipline to look outside of that discipline for inspiration. Cause that's, that's, what's going to kind of set you apart. Like if you're, if you're looking at, you're studying graphic design and you're looking at all these graphic designers, you're looking at all this, this graphic design stuff chances are everyone else who's studying it's going to be looking at all that stuff too. Mm. So <laughs> you're, it's going to be hard to kind of different. I mean, any, you have to do that in the beginning just to kind of learn, learn what it is and learn why you like what you like, you know, you yeah. kind of, you have to, you have to start at that, at that level, but at a certain point you've kind of, you have to remove yourself from it for you to, to sort of be informed by other things that will allow you to differentiate yourself, you know, sort of in the, in that, whole grand scheme of things. It's almost like the idea where, you know, at some point Picasso stopped looking at paintings and he just painted. He just mm-hmm. went to the studio and painted. He didn't look at paintings anymore. He just created, right? So you have to, you have to figure out, you know, a way to not be influenced by practitioners who are doing the same thing as you are. And sometimes it's tough because, you know, I always look at, I might type in, go on pentagrams, you know, Instagram, and I'm like, dang, man, that's dope. Like, they, yeah. you know, they killed that. Like, but it's, it, you know, but sometimes it's, it's good to be inspired by that stuff. But I think, I don't think you should be consumed by it. I think you should be influenced by, you know, other things. Um, so books, I'm, I'm heavy on books. Um, I haven't had a lot of time to read as much as I would like to, but right. um, I was reading, actually, let me see. <laughs> My buddy of mine gave me this this memoir, Angela's Ashes, by Frank McCourt. So I was I was reading that, and then I actually got the Obama book for Christmas. My wife got me that, so I actually started reading that, and I I kind of stopped reading the <laughs> the other book because the Obama thing I didn't I didn't expect it to be as transparent as it is. I don't know if you if you got it or if you're reading it or whatnot, but the way I, it I starts know. out, like he's very 
I'm 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 curious to get to get through it because he's being very like he's he's humanizing himself even more. It's mm-hmm. almost like oh, this regular guy, like regular guy that went through all the stuff that I've gone through, became you know the first African American you know president of the United States. So it's it's been interesting to to kind of just dive in. And I'm 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 at the very beginning, but okay. um, it's very transparent. But I mean, I, I love I love like memoirs, biographies. Again, I love like people's stories just to, to kind of get an idea of how people got to where they got because everybody has a different path, you know? Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of the stuff I'm reading now. I mean, I know in all the events that transpired in 2020, I, it kind of caused me to, to um, revisit my, my African-American, you know, section in my library. So I, I kind of touched on some of those things just to you know, reacclimate my brain and, and trying to figure out how to assess things that were going on. Yeah. But um, yeah, man, I got, I, I ordered a, I ordered a bunch of books probably in quarantine, but I haven't touched them yet. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with David Ajay. Mm-hmm. He's a British African-American designer. So I, he has this um, Ajay Africa book. So he went through like all these different you know cities in Africa and he kind of studied the, so I, I have that. Um, ordered some, some Baldwin, ordered some other, you know, some other books. I have, I mean, I got a bunch of stuff, man. It's just, it, it's just, there's too many books for me, for me to read. I, like, I don't have enough time. Man, you I got to come to the studio sometime, man. You got to come by at some point, like when all this, all these germs blow over. Come, man, I can't wait. Digital, man. Yeah. Can't wait. You know, um, I have, t- I have one question I always ask at the end of things, but I want to talk about that Ajay book real quick because I actually do know which one you're talking about. And I haven't, I don't have it in my possession, but I've listened to him talk about it. And Mm -hmm. the ethos of it is amazing because it made me check myself on how I view Africa. Mm -hmm. And the, I mean, the little bit that I heard about it is that he's basically saying, look, the, the idea of a metro area or a metropolitan city in Africa has been exoticized. Like, the idea of Africa is like this foreign, I mean, it's foreign country or foreign continent and set of countries for most, but still like, it's not Mars. And when you go, he's like, yeah, it's more, it's more metropolis than New York. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And there's, there's a, there's a couple of other folks that are, you know, in the almost like celebrity kind of realm that also engage in it. So one is Oswald Boateng. So Mm. he's very, very, um, involved in Africa. And he's, you know, he believes that there's a, Africa has a lot of natural resources and, and they have things, there's, there's a lot there that people can benefit from. And, and there's a lot of things there that, that people are unaware of, um, that mm-hmm. is very rich. Like he had a, he was in some school in, um, I think he was in Ghana and he was like, how many, how many of you guys think it was like an elementary school, right? He's like, how many of you guys think Africa is poor? And there were like almost all the kids raised their hand. Uh, and, and like, he's like, how many of you guys think Africa is rich? And like two, and like two kids like stood up, you know? And it was like, wow. Like people that actually live there, live there, believe, <laughs> believe what Americans believe about Africa, you know, but it takes people like him and Ajay and, and people who have, you know, the, the flexibility and the resources to travel and, and like, see these things and, and go back to their heritage and, and figure out how they can help, you know? So yeah. that's one of, that's on my bucket list. I need to, I haven't been to Africa. 
Mm. I definitely, I definitely want to go. So last question, if you had to, I always ask this to everybody and it gets a variety of answers. If you had to go back in time mm-hmm. to your last days as a minor, as it's qualified in the United States, um, I think it's an important time because your brain is still developing biologically, your personality is still developing, your experiences haven't fully made sense yet to you, um, both biologically and psychologically. So I'm curious, like, what would you say to 17-year-old Yancey? Like, when you're getting out of high school, mm-hmm. no beard, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> mini right, fro. Right. <laughs> exactly, mini fro cornrows, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, high school, high school for me, I don't, I, I don't think many people can say this, but I had a, I had a very, very good, amazing high school experience. Um, it was great. I mean, I, I went to, I actually went to a tech school, which I didn't start out as that, but I went to, um, so the neighborhood I lived in, in Tampa, like one side of the street was our apartment complex. We were bused to this um, a white school that was all in the other side of, the, of town. But if you lived on the other side of 30th Street, you were bused to the school that was like right around the corner. So like I was bused to this school that was all the way out there, right? And it was just a complete disconnect. It was a different experience. I played basketball at the time. So like I went out for the team. I, um, sorry, this is a a (laughs) long-winded answer to to this question. (laughs) But um, I went out for the team long story short, the varsity coach like saw me in tryouts and then final cuts. He was like, I'm going to put you on JV this year. Cause I was like a sophomore. He's like, I'm gonna put you on JV this year, but I want you to stay. I want you to practice with varsity, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So end up JV coach never, ever said a word to me, nothing. We started the season, never let me dress, never let me play like all this stuff. And it, there was a, that was, that was one of the you know, we've, I think we've all ex- experienced racism and prejudice in some form or fashion, but that was one of the, the heaviest <laughs> moments of where I experienced it because I, mm-hmm. I knew, I knew I could just feel what it was, yeah. you know, and there, there were a couple of, there were a couple of other African-American kids on the team. And one was basically, he was from that neighborhood. So everybody like, he was basically that. Yeah. And another kid, his dad was like the coach at USF or whatever. So like he was on the, he, he didn't, he couldn't even play. <laughs> so he was on the team. He was on the team just because. So one night I used to get on the activity bus to ride home. One night I kept telling my mom, I don't want to go to school. Don't want to go to school. And one night the activity bus didn't come. I had to call my mom, wake her up out of her sleep. She had to come drive all the way on the other side of town to come pick me up. As soon as I got in the car, she's like, you're not going to this school anymore. So next week, applied to Tampa Bay Tech, where basically all my friends were going. Mm-hmm. I applied to the engineering program, and I also applied to the commercial art program, which kind of in hindsight, I, I almost wish I would have gotten to the, the commercial art. Because right. I got into engineering, and we really didn't learn much. But after I was there for about a month or two, the school called from commercial art, and they were like, hey, we've accepted you. And I'm like, I'm already enrolled in engineering. So I just stayed with engineering. But my senior year, I had stopped drawing for like a long time, man, like middle school and all that. But my senior year, I took an art class. And it was almost like I had never stopped. Um, so to get to the first one, a piece of advice, I would, um, you know, 
keep doing what you enjoyed as a kid because that's gonna that's what's gonna keep you grounded as you transcend into your adulthood. Um, again, now I love still still love to skateboard and and draw and, and music and all that sort of thing. Don't be afraid to take risks. I mean, you have at seventeen, you got tons of room for error, and people people should embrace failure. <laughs> so fail because that means you're, you're learning something. And if you learn it, you're not going to make the same mistake again. So don't be afraid to take risks. Um, and then I, I think the, the big one would be to um, invest in yourself because no matter what, you know, circumstances you may, you may come across, you know, if you have a, if you have a sound, you know, mind, body, and soul, like if you're, if you read, if you're educated, if you know the power of what you can do, you know, if you take care of your body, which I know a lot of kids don't, but I would say like, start doing that. And then, and then spiritually, you know, just be grounded, you know, have, have values and have things that you can look back on and that will allow you to kind of achieve what you need to achieve without selling yourself out or selling yourself short. Mm. Um, and then I think lastly, I would just say, don't compare yourself to others because we're all on different paths. I mean, as, as a youth, we're quick to kind of, you know, have this competitive edge and spirit. I mean, I know when I was in high school, I had a group of friends, man, we had a, we had a rap group or whatever. So we would always be freestyling and stuff. And like, it was, you know, we were always competitive with how we dressed and who had the best sneakers and who had the prettiest girlfriend and all that sort of thing. But, you know, once you start into venturing out into career world, like you can't, you can't look at your friend and say, oh, well, he's working for Nike and he has this, but I'm doing that, you know? So if you start to do that, then you'll, you won't completely fulfill your own destiny. You know, you have to, everybody is on a, a completely different path. So you have to focus on what you have, do what, do what you have, what, do what you can with what you have, where you are, you know, like you have to, you have to assess your situation and see how, how you can make the best of what you have and not, think about what other people have and what they're going through. So, so, I mean, that's, that's what I would say to my 17 year old self, you know, keep doing what you enjoyed as a kid. Don't be afraid to take risks, um, invest in yourself. Nobody can take that away from you, man. And, you know, don't compare yourself to others. Mm. Yeah. I, I love that, man. Is there, is there anything else that you want to like shamelessly plug or shamefully plug? I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anything you want to share that we didn't yeah. touch on man check out the educated guest podcast you know <laughs> by justin McElderry. <laughs> no um not really man you know it's it's I, I have if you know me you know i've always been had things on the side that i've worked on but as i kind of took in this new career path a couple of years ago i i told myself at least for a year i wouldn't engage in any other endeavors and I would kind of focus on sort of learning this new, <laughs> this new uh, position. Um, so, I mean, I have things kind of in the side bubbling, but nothing that I can, that I'd like to shamelessly plug, plug right now. So, Got you. For so. sure, man. Thank you so much. If you've made it this far, then it means that you were very attentive and this meant something to you throughout your day. You know, whether you were at the gym, whether you were at the park on a walk or maybe while you were heads down on some work at 1 a.m. I'm grateful for the time that you've spent with us and I'm grateful for your ear that you've lent and hopefully that it was like time well spent. 
Um, I'm very conscious of how I personally spend my time and I want to be conscious of how everyone else's time is spent. So if you've chosen to make it this far, then we would love if you connected with us at educated underscore underscore guests. If you're on Instagram or any other platforms like that, then just give us a screenshot and share it with a friend, share it with a family member, share it with one person that means something to you. And also one more thing, I've never really asked too much of the podcast community, but it's been brought to my attention that reviews are extremely helpful in boosting us in the rankings for whatever rankings are worth and whoever cares about those. Um, but I do care about getting this message out to as many people as possible. So if you could leave us a, a review, um, preferably a five-star review, uh, <laughs> then that would be super helpful. Thank you so much for the time that you spent with us. I look forward to talking to you soon. Until next time, peace.